Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. I am joined, as always, by my great friend and political scientist, Leon. Hello, Leon. Hello, Frank. It's It's been a while. It's been a while since you have been here, I believe. It feels long ago. It, it really does, doesn't it? I, I think it's just uh, the way the months have, have piled up in front of us with a lot of HBM. I th yeah, I think in the previous month we did the left page first. And we saved it this time for last because I fucked up. But nobody needs to know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we might have had... Let me let me very quickly check, actually. I'll just... Okay. So it has been three episodes in a row, I believe. Wow. Um, oh, no, right. No, it has been four. Sorry. My bad, Frank. So that's why it feels so long ago. So yeah, that's... Uh, happy to be back. Happy to be back. Oh, yeah. Back. I, I, love, I love the original show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... Just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for uh, the domineering presence of my uh, chat uh, podcast on this channel. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, it's all myself. good. It's <laughs> all good. No, um, yeah. So, and, and what a last page, uh, dare I say, wheelhouse theme do we have today? Oh, yeah. We, we are going to talk about a Jason Le Guin. Uh, <laughs> As, as I'm Major seeing it now. Le Guinifers. The Le Guinif Well, hmm. Okay. Uh, well, well, we'll get into that. Because uh, okay. that's, that's <laughs> relevant, actually. Uh, but the, the uh, that's why I'm calling it Jason Le Guin. Because um, we're going to be talking about the edited collection of short stories called Dispatches from an Ars, Tales in Tribute to Ursula K. Le Guin, edited by Suzanne de Freitas. Uh, it yes. is a collection of short stories that, yes. from the title, you're not entirely sure what that might be. Uh, my expectations were for there to be stories about, you know, inside Le Guin's vast uh, and lots of gap-filled universes. The Hainish Cycle, the Ursae Cycle, um, <laughs> and, and so on. But uh, it's, it's a little more than that, and uh, we'll get into it shortly. There's just uh, a little thing we want to mention or, or, or talk about and, and well-wish before we properly get into it. Yeah, it looks like uh, the often-mentioned uh, SAG After Strike is coming to a close at the time of recording. There are some mixed uh, reports on As We Speak. Mm -hmm. Sorry if this turns out to be wrong. Um, there are some sources that are saying, well, it's definitely over. And there are some sources saying there are some revisions being made to the deal. I have seen and heard people talking about the deal as it stands as of time of this recording. Uh, what they got out of it, uh, essentially, um, in the draft that I've seen, is that the use of AI is prohibited. It's mm. pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And like writers now also get paid better residuals on streaming. Mm. And once again, I... My very humble personal opinion is that I don't think this deal's uh, this deal's fine. This deal's is, 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 is okay. I think it could have been better. Oh yeah. At the same time, <laughs> I don't know what the, what what the strike fund situation is. I don't know what the yeah. other sit situations is surrounding this. I don't mean this as a criticism. I just think they deserve better. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah, that's exactly. That, that's where that's coming from. Uh, that being said, I once again, if it's optional, I would like to see a better deal, maybe, and see it continue, maybe. Who knows? 
Uh, we'll see. Yeah. As someone who's not taking part in it physically because I'm not from the United States, so I can't. Same. <laughs> um, yeah, right? So it's always easy to, to say these things. Uh, so I just wanted to have a little asterisk there. Yeah, no, but I, but I think the main takeaway is, as always, is that the whole AI spiel thing and the streaming residuals, these are things that they, from the, uh, like, months ago, the studio executives were, like, just plainly saying, like, hey, this is never going to happen. We will never grant you this. We will never, you know, hmm. we will never give in to these demands. And uh, look at that. Striking, strike works. Stri- Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought that strike works? Yeah. So, uh, congratulations on these gains so far to uh, to the people involved. Uh, solidarity mm-hmm. forever and so forth and so on. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we just want to very quickly mention that I, I hope it will be, once again, by the time this episode gets released, I hope it will, uh, it, it, there might be a definitive deal, whatnot. Yeah. We'll see. I will keep we'll a tight see. eye on it. Yeah. And they also uh, might... Uh, expand into video game territory which might be interesting to talk about when we are on HBM but we are not on HBM we are going to talk about books books good old good old books the first book uh, the first medium the first medium I I started cataloging my box lately uh, because uh, I've been avoiding writing the thesis Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, let my supervisor not hear that but um, Mm -hmm. got a lot of books I love a lot of books and I haven't cataloged the digital ones yet I got a lot of books. Right. Uh, it's great. Uh, I'll tell you more about it later. <laughs> okay. Uh, but today, today we're going to be talking about dispatches from an R. So, you know, for if if somehow you 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 you've, you've stumbled on this episode or this show and you've not heard me talking about this possessed yet, uh, an R's is the the fictional moon or planet. There's uh, contention. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> In the novel by Ursula K. Le Guin, The Dispossessed, where there's yeah. this fic- uh, this anarchistic society that is going through some, um, shall we say, growing pains and trying to figure itself out and, and, and build and overcome its, its difficulties in terms of resources, in terms of so- society and politics, and, and even culture to, to a great degree. And it's, it's struggling. It's it's not bleak, but it's having challenges, and yet it it kind of remains and and or can be a, a source of you know a utopian potential and hope and and so on. So uh, just from the title, it's it's very provocative. It's like oh, dispatches from or, or messages or, or ideas or stories that stem from this idea of of an ours and and what this hope can be. However, <laughs> it should be noted the stories. Uh, save for like uh, technically two, but uh, like, well, well, we'll get to that. But technically, two different kinds of stories. All of the other ones aren't talking about any specific Le Guin created uh, expanded universe. They're all very contained or creating their own things or uh, even being kind of a realist. And there's room for it. So the, the way I define it, or I try to create any kind of definition for what this is, is the creation of stories with the same vibe as Le Guin's broad work. And uh, yeah. we'll, we'll explore that as we get to the, to the various stories, because uh, broadly, I think they succeed. I think they, they touch in stuff that Le Guin 
was interested in or, or, or considered or, or created or, or developed or waved towards in a variety of different ways. Do I think they all do that? Maybe not, or at least others in ways that I'm not familiar with or can't articulate yet. Fair warning, I haven't read all of Le Guin as much as I'd like. I have read two of the many uh, Earthsea cycle story novels. Uh, I've read some short stories, not as many as I'd like. There are other Hinnish cycle ones, and, and, and so on and so on. So there's, there's a lot of Le Guin for me to read, but from the fiction I've, he- I've read, from uh, what the other novels that I know plenty of, because, you know, it, it touches on the bibliography that, I'm, that I research, that they talk about those, if only tangentially, and some of her own essays, uh, her critical essays that I've read, uh, I feel like they gave me a decent enough picture to, to dive into the various aspects that she, that, that, that the various authors of this collection approach. So where do we want to start, Leon? In, in terms of the stories. Oh. There are various stories. We, we can't talk about them all. There are a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, but So we're going to pick a few uh, that we personally liked, felt gave us more material to talk about, and, and so on. So uh, yeah. just fair warning. I, I do want to quickly start off by saying that I sadly have not read a lot of Ursula Le Guin. Um, it's, once again, I'm familiar with her work. I'm familiar with the... Uh, by far, I'm more familiar with the person than her writing. Fair and enough. I'm far more familiar with the impact that she has had, uh, for which um, this this short story collection is very interesting. I would say mm-hmm. um, the uh, <laughs> hmm, uh, my favorite part of the of this uh, of the of this book is the little um, epitaph. These these little. Um, uh, like words by the writer mm-hmm. that are at the end of the story by saying how they got to interact with Ursula Le Guin and her mm-hmm. work. I find that very uh, thoughtful. Yeah, no, those very are interesting. interesting. And they, they yeah. really vary because some are like, oh, no, yes. you know, I wrote this story based on this and that and, and my contact with Le Guin has been this or that. And so it's like, yeah, no, I'm interested in this and that stuff. Yeah, and I'm, um, I'm reading this possessed as we speak. Uh, I will get through it one day, I promise. Uh, one day and one day, uh, one day. and uh, yeah. Well, once again, I I wish I had this I had this more spontaneous relationship with Ursula Le Guin, but I got introduced to her by people who um, how do I say this? Uh, people whose idealisms um, are quite comparable to my own. Uh, <laughs> read into that whatever you want to, and I so the the. The treat of Ursula Le Guin, of her, once again, how she constructs her worlds and her visions and so forth and so on, was inadvertently by that spoiled for me. Mm. Um, as in, I didn't get the chance to develop my own relationship with her in the way that I do get with most writers. Um, I see. So, so that, was, that was, once again, it's not a major issue, but I was just like, oh, I wish I would, like stumbled upon someone's writing and they're like, hey, capitalism sucks. And I was like, yes! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I didn't yeah. get that because people were like, oh, if you hate capitalism, you might like Ursula Le Guin. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. So I, <laughs> the bar was already inadvertently not on purpose, but therefore the bar was already set pretty high. And I was like, okay, when do we get to the cool leftist shit? And that has <laughs> like influenced my relationship with her literature a little bit, which I cannot stress enough is very much my shortcoming, not <laughs> Ursula Le Guin's. 
So I just want to get that out of the way. No, that's fair. I'm very happy to be with Frank, who knows Ursula Gwyn way better than I do. Uh, once again, I'm familiar with her work and her impacts, mm-hmm. as is as we as you know we, since we talked about it with our lovely visitor uh, Arthur uh, on the yeah. uh, George R. R. Martin Ursula Gwyn comparison episode. But uh, yeah, so, so I just wanted to like quickly disclaimer <laughs> that I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I'm just gonna take take the option the the moment as well to to t- thank once again, a uh, great friend and and fellow podcaster. Uh, Pearson Bolt of Coffee with Comrades, whom uh, you know it, it was uh, out of his recommendation for us to when when I when Bruno and I collabed uh, with the Left Page and Coffee with Comrades about a book, he suggested Dispossessed and uh, this author that I knew nothing about, and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's let's see this this might be interesting sci-fi, so let's see how it goes, and I was like, oh my god, um, <laughs> and and that and then the, the rest is history. Uh, yeah. um, the rest so, is the left page yeah <laughs> hey pretty much uh, the rest is my my master's thesis uh ongoing Christ. but yeah no it's it, it's really it's really fantastic and you know i i, I, I like pearson a lot and uh, you know t- take shout out uh, pearson uh go listen to coffee with comrades as well yeah it just happened and um h- here am i here are we yes here we are and uh yeah so um, you ask me, but I don't have a strong preference. I don't know if there's any short story you would like to start on. I think uh, for for the benefit of our notes and the book, uh, we can go from like how the the book is uh, the, the, in order of the stories in the book of like you know the the stories that first draw attention to us and and then uh, oh carry on. Okay, uh, well, then I will start by the f- with the very first one. Hey, nice. um, the first one that I did find a bit, I uh, didn't find bad. Mm-hmm. I, I did, I would say that's very Ursula Le Guin. It reminded me a lot of Dispossessed Left Hand of Darkness a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, from what I know about it. I found the point of view very interesting, so I will say real quick that uh, A Lay of Light and Anger, as it's mm-hmm. called, I believe. Yeah, it's about a uh, very simple. It's about uh, a person that's part of the upper class, part of the entrenched. Um, socioeconomic order they discover that things are maybe not as simple as she's led to believe Ooh. and but in a very interesting way that i think and once again um this is going to be the main gist of this episode dear listener uh, i'm going to toss up this ball for huh is this part of the laguiniferous vibes vibes based laguin uh, orientation that that we uh that we could go off like is this a um once again, we're not uh, assessing any kind of validity or of uh, worthwhile tributeness. It's just how does this fit into the broader Le Guin perception that we hold, and which which is not triumphant or like you know, uh, it's not it's it's, it's not uh, the one and only definitive vision or whatever. But yeah, no. Anyway, so that's that's going to be the ball that I'm going to toss up throughout this episode to Frank. Like, hey, what do we think about this? It's a good one, though. It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's well. So the so how she is convinced is to uh, is to like rhyme, uh, rhyme rather than reason, if you will, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. And you have like this little couplets that are, and you can like harm people if you like have this avant-garde poetry or something. <laughs> uh, that you like, you know, like these angry couplets that you like can toss on someone, and they're like, ah, like ah, why would you do that? Which engages with a thing that I find 
And this is the only criticism that I have of Ursula Quinn as a writer. Mm. So let's just get <laughs> off. Let's start with this. Of course. Um, I don't mind it, by the way. And this is a more a personal thing that that I struggle with. But Ursula Quinn has always had a very interesting uh, relationship with the material. Mm. And what I mean with that is that how um, poetry in this case, uh, in, in this short story, is not a means of production, but it is a tool and it is a, a set of a skill set and it is a form of, well, one could argue labor. Mm-hmm. And it, it does directly affect the world in a material and physical way in a very, once again, what we, what we would call based on our world, uh, quite silly, maybe, which <laughs> doesn't make it bad at all, far, far from it. Um, it's just, it's difficult to something that we would deem uh, either relaxing, sometimes frivolous, sometimes, uh, you know, art, artistical, um, harmless, um, to once again, make that a way uh, to like affect one another in a direct physical material way is a bit odd or like that, that's where the fantasy comes in, right? That's mm-hmm. this is where the fiction comes in. And I find the way that she, that the girl that is then part of this upper class, Minghu, right? What's, what's uh, that her name? Uh, <laughs> Kreia died and oh, Are, right? Uh... Anyway, the girl, uh, it's, uh, she's, um, she's convinced by a couple, of, by like a little poem by the resistance leader. And I, I find this an interesting tribute to art itself in a way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's difficult for me when we engage in revolution, but revolution in such a odd mixture of severe and non-severe. Mm. And the non-severity is in the poetry, but and the severe is, is in people dying. So I don't necessarily know how to position those in the same story at the same time without it leading to some estrangement, maybe? I don't know how you feel about it. No, that's fair. I think, I think from this story in particular, I think there's the, the sense of, of where it grabs or gets a lot from Le Guin is in this this potential of, of naming, of creating and expressing words that that is familiar as well in Earthsea, uh, whereas uh, naming and, and using you know language can be something like materially powerful, uh, whatever yeah. power might be in the, in various cases, but I think in the story there there's a sense that like yeah no this uh this is something that has a degree of power, but b- but the 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 other half of that and you know that there's there's other senses in which words and pronouncing words and you know curses and the like works and functions in, throughout the story, but that we're also talking about you know like a, a rebel armed movement. And the, the violence that comes from resistance in that regard, um, yeah. there, there's definitely like a, a kind of tangent or line that you can follow through and find in various Leguin's own works, or like how he, she depicted um, the idea of revolution, and it varies a lot. It, it's rarely ever direct or focused. It's usually in um, a few specific moments and circumstances and with some mentions 
but it's not never really, you know, that, that delved into. So, but the question of violence is, so I think that that can make the scene we're talking about seem more broadly, not, not any specific scene in the story, but of like, okay, how do you bring art together with this aspect of, you know, a, a revolution proper or a sociopolitical movement, really? And there is a, a point that like, how do you articulate uh, violence and culture, hmm. really? I think that's, that's what's at stake. And that's one of the things lightly at stake in the story, too, or at least mentioned in terms of culture. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I can't give you a proper answer, but I think like there is, <laughs> there is an articulation of those elements that um, in a very Le Guin fashion Yes. Really doesn't give us any kind of proper solution, but gives us like <laughs> ways these things can happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is definitely a vehicle for imagination. And I think that's yeah. one of Ursula Le Guin's like, greatest talents to indicate the possible, to once again, yeah. to speculate her fiction. Yeah, uh, if you will. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah. So once again, I I did think that was a very strong start. Then my my second critique of this 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 short story is that, that which is a compliment. Um, I think this would have worked better as a novella. I think the story yeah. here, if it has had more time to breathe, and has was more expense uh, expanded upon, would have worked great as like a, a short uh, story yeah. novella yeah, thing. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Sorry. That's, so that that's uh, you know that is a compliment. As in, I think this story is very interesting. It's just the shift in in your socio economic paradigm is up to a point from a psychoanalytical perspective a very violent shift. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can be sudden. However, the suddenness that is portrayed in this short story, I would argue, is uh, it's a little um, much. I, I agree. <laughs> um, I don't think it's it is accelerated in a in the way yeah. that I think it should have been the case. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, go ahead. Your your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here's here's one. I think like we Leon and I before we started recording, we're talking about like yeah, we we really like the story. We kind of want to talk about it, but we don't really know how. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, the it's pretty much all in the title. The night bazaar for women becoming reptiles. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is broadly speaking about this uh, this uh, town in an oasis where there seems to be a great deal of oppression broadly and towards women in particular. And uh, at night, the, the night bazaar is uh, in, in illegality and amidst uh, various other stores. There's one that sells uh, snake eggs. And if women eat the snake eggs, they become women. They, they become women. They become reptiles, snakes yes. even, and uh, slither away into the desert. Yeah. And uh, our protagonist wants to do that, but they, they keep on failing at that. And it's so- a really odd story about uh, identity, independence, and... Uh, literal physical transformation which is pretty damn cool yeah i think once again it's trying to engage with the aspect of the win that is uh once again gender queer is is uh, yeah queer norm is you know which it was just cool uh once again 
she did that. She did that. Period. But also, <laughs> she did that way earlier than most writers had. You know, mm-hmm. and and she once again was definitely a pioneer in that aspect. I would argue, and I find once again this story then captures the um, expect expectation of gender. The mm-hmm. and once again, and what happens that the expectation of gender always leads to some degree of a segregation between genders. Yeah. And I think that is something that the story gets, even though it is quite abstract and the whole, I go into the desert and become a snake is a bit difficult to read into maybe for some people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do find it, I do find it interesting. And I, it's a type of weird that I welcome, even though I don't know always what to do with it. Yeah. Um. I. I. Once again, I'm like, yeah, turn into a lizard. You go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, it it does. Um. The the, the articulation of desire between the the person that uh, the people that we interact with in this short story, is very. It, it, I do think it's very well written. I find what I what I do find fascinating about Ursula Gwyn is like um like what happens. When uh, like in one of her short stories, there's like three women for every two men, or something. Yeah, and I find like that idea like what happens then once like demographic storytelling is is something I really like personally. <laughs> so uh, once again, that's something that uh, Ursula Gwyn is never afraid to embrace, and I find this uh, short story definitely interacts with those elements that Le Guin's work is very competent at embracing. I don't know if anything else to say um, about I mean, it. I don't know if you have anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's the reference to that particular story, which is the matter yeah. of Segri, which... Right, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, again, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's all, it's in... Um, no, I, I'm not entirely sure if it is based from... Uh, the, no, no, it's not. Uh, I, I was thinking if it was from the, the Left Hand of Darkness, but that, that's another one. No, this one is something else entirely. But uh, it's thinking of different uh, gendered politics, r- really, yeah. and gender arrangements. But th- what if they there's still problems there? And when those problems uh, or when that those arrangements, although you know by 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 yeah, by all indications, but by the way we call it queer. Are st- can still become or are still oppressive, or are oppressive, and what happens then, and how do you deal with those with the idea of change and and breaking away from that and like literally going into the unknown? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like this 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 is a, such a great story, and what a fucking <laughs> great title. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, sorry, <laughs> descriptive. Normally, I'm not into descriptive. St- titles but in this case it works wholeheartedly yeah um, definitely but just as like a closing thought and to what you said i think it's very interesting that expression will always have a reaction it's the the gender expression in this case despite being a good thing a wholeheartedly good thing it is going to like be like a, you know like a stone that is tossed into a pool and like ripples mm-hmm. out into the broader uh societal context that we have and once again that reaction to that expression is something if if the reaction is done genuinely and and you know 
uh, <laughs> not in the worst way possible as we see in our very own society, but in a more, <laughs> once again, if, if we are allowed to, like, you know, uh, <laughs> embrace the e- utopian potential by speculating about future, it's that even when we all accept cool gender queer shit, uh, <laughs> is that, that, that we still, there's no guarantee that we all are going to have the same reaction to these gender expressions. And that is still something that, you know, that requires work, that requires labor, and that it's good. We should. And I think up to a point, um, this story evokes thinking about that. And I think that's very good. <laughs> so there you go. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, which one uh, do we have? The, the exact next one. We've been talking about the, <laughs> the ones <laughs> the in particular. Right. <laughs> Sorry to make such an excessive uh, first half of the book uh, presence here, but yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I but think yeah. it's... Uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> the things... Uh, I mean, they they um, they really hit us where we like to be hit at the start. <laughs> so real quick, The Night Bazaar for Women Becoming Reptiles is by Rachel K. Jones. And A Lay of Light and Anger has, is written by Stuart C. Baker. I just wanted to credit. Uh, oh, of course. And then The Wake, uh, which is the next one we're going to be talking about, is yes. written by James Mapes. Mapes? Mapes? Yeah. Mapes? Mapes? Mm. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, James Mapes. M-A-P-A-S. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, the Wake is effectively about um, th- this, um, this character who is... Um, uh, He's like a traveler, like on a, um, shall we say, like a faith-inspired journey. And that, you know, there's going to be a great change. But uh, he doesn't know exactly what it is. And uh, as the story progresses and he goes on like this sea travel and whatnot, he finds out that's like his gods or the gods that he worshipped and others worshipped are like dying or dead even. The rituals don't work anymore. The the invocations don't work anymore, um, and you know they, they are left to their own devices, um, in a very very broad strokes. And you know it's again the right notes. It, it talks about faith. It talks about belief. Uh, and I, I love the question of like how do you deal with gods who've died? You know it's like they were present mm. then, and you know that there might be new gods or there might not be. And what then? How how do we deal with these forces that we had a way to interact with, but we don't anymore? Or that even uh, the world has changed in a way that has become difficult to navigate with, and how do we deal with it? What ways must we we come to? What, what must we understand now? And uh, all those all those are very Laguin questions. Yes, <laughs> love this story so much. Yeah, no, I think this story. Uh, accomplishes that thing that is so great by uh, <laughs> that's so greatly done by so many different stories slash short stories, especially short stories mm-hmm. for that matter. It is that it facilitates itself so beautifully in a way that not one definitive reading of it yeah. is like you know um, is necessarily like clearly there, uh, so so to speak. As in, I can like easily talk about four different things when reading this story, and it's it's conceptualization once again. There, there's once again. So, like I just said, there are multiple ways to interact with this story, 
I am mainly going to focus on the one that, that you know is effective to me personally. Of course. And I find this this um, this story for me encapsulates like just like a general disposition and relation that an individual can have to religion, and it understands that by having faith in something, it that this also creates inadvertently, directly or indirectly, for that matter, an element of culture. Yeah. I would argue. Yeah. It just by simple I would argue that everything that has a continued interaction <laughs> gets a culture, so to speak, or <laughs> cultural elements rather. Mm-hmm. And I find this idea that there's this line I I'm sorry I forgot which one it was. I should have like marked it. But um <laughs> there's this line where um it's like, oh, when I was young and I fell into you, because the, the god that is dead is like a sea god, it's like an ocean, right? Well, the, the, we hear news of other gods that have died recently, but the, the main oh. one at the very end, of which we have the wake, is a sea god. Yeah, and there's this reminiscing about like, oh, when I was young, I fell into you and like, you scooped me back on the shores and like, so forth and so on. And... This for me, like, clearly resembles this positive relationship that young children have with faith. Like, you go to Sunday school, maybe if you're a Christian, or you go to temple school, and um, you you learn these things, and you have community and so forth and so on. You might have a bar or bar mitzvah, or you know, you have uh, your communion. You have like all all that stuff, you know. And these are all then very entrenched memories in our in our personal lives and the well not all of us but um some of us definitely associate with quite positively in a very strong and vehement way and this uh this creates this feeling of safety of um Mm -hmm. of once again this memory is encapsulated it was you were good you were young you were safe which is then very neatly tied up into just the general reminiscing that we all do about well, things used to be simpler and so forth and so on, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. a very human element of that. And it's very neatly, you know, is interwoven with the general idea of nostalgia and so forth and so on, comfort and safety. And there's this, once again, there's this reminiscing like, oh, you, you, you provided uh, safety for me, you provided, like, memories and so forth and so on. And then um, later on, like, when, when the thing dies... Um, once again, it can lead to a bunch of things. It can lead to, once again, the way I struggle with the fact that my conceptualization of divine slash God or whatever is not something that's necessarily embraced by <laughs> um, a bunch of people. And yeah, once again, same. the way I view things. Yeah, right. So that like, oh, so it can be like the loss of this identity, the loss of this like the way I the lo- the death of your religion, up to a point because it not that it is dead but the dramatic change that has now taken place is so similar to death. It feels like death. It feels like this thing that has been you know has ended abruptly and strongly and definitively. It's you know so I feel that that's a very good conceptualization of that. At the same time, I would also argue that. When I was young, I didn't look at things critically, <laughs> and once again, I always had a troubled relationship. I, <laughs> I asked my mom, uh, like, well, uh, during like um, uh, during the stories of the of the plagues, 
in Egypt, uh, I, when like you know God starts killing children, I was like, as a young person, I was like, well, mom, why does he do that? <laughs> like, mom was like, ah. <laughs> so um, there's like, and like you know, and my grandparents were like, well, they get to go to heaven or like you know the afterlife, uh, and like you know they had like a bit, bit more. They they uh, they um they dealt with that before. <laughs> they were a bit more experienced in that than my mother was. <laughs> but um yeah so so even though i always ha- always had struggles with this uh, both the conceptualization of god as a god and how i view the history of uh the religion mm-hmm. um nevertheless although always having been a troubled relationship it nevertheless became more and more troubled the more and more i started to look at it critically and archaeologically, from a like an archaeological standpoint, yeah. and what I mean with that is like, you know, the culture surrounding the religion used to do some things that I find very difficult. Um, <laughs> that just like I, I, that it goes so strongly against everything that I believe. And even though we don't, we clearly don't do these things anymore. We have changed so much. Um, there is once again some kind of emotional death dirge uh, for all of this. That is very difficult to like, you know, deal with. I would argue. Anyway, I'll shut up now. But uh, yeah, that's 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 something that this story evoked in me, and I find very interesting. No, that makes sense. I think how how the the death of like this practice or collective uh, belonging, but all, but that isn't necessarily death of your faith, and how those things interact and grow, right? Like I. <laughs> I mean, I'm a communist Catholic. Um, it's uh, <laughs> more than a little tension. And I frequently say uh, <laughs> heter- heterodox, if not outright blasphemous stuff, like uh, that, you know, it, it's important to have a certain sense of heterodoxy and flexibility to one's faith, uh, any faith, really, which uh, probably makes me blasphemous in some sense, but I think that's good. Uh, you know, I, my, my, my defense is always like, you know, if, God created everything, uh, and you know it gave us the ability of critique. Then, by all means, we must. Uh, <laughs> so it's a gift. It's a gift from God that to critique. So uh, lest lest we we fail to do the 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 ruthless critique of everything that exists. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my defense. Um, uh, anything else on on, on this uh, wonderful story, which we we, we really connected to? Do you want to go to the next one? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, do Do you well? Uh, w- which one do you want to talk about next? Some more because like I can I can um, move on on some of the ones that I we've talked about. I can mention briefly because like I say I I, I so, usually have like some uh, initial thoughts on pretty much all all of them. <laughs> yeah. But there are a few that I want to take my time and and these ones at the start I really did as well. Do you mind if I go a little quick fire through them. I don't think yes. they're bad, but I think cool. like there isn't that much that we want to dive into. By all means. Uh, Blackest Fred is interesting. It's got an interesting point on like anti-colonial violence and resistance. Yes. Uh, with the characteristics of almost a fable. Um, interesting. I, I, I like it a lot. It's it's nice. It's it's fun. Um, you yeah. know, familiar there, things. There's a bit, um, the way it deals with like descriptiveness and maybe determinism a little bit, it's a bit yeah the, the, which is like what i what i kind of f- it's fine for short story fable. don't get me wrong yeah i felt as like from a fable standpoint it's like mm, this 
this feels like it's going in this particular direction and it's like yeah i i don't know i'd want more out of this but it's it's fine it's pretty good <laughs> very good yeah um we it have... is not centered around powerful figures, which is, you know, pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's always which good. Which is the hallmark of Gwyn's uh, territory, I would say. <laughs> uh, there, there's a woven womb, uh, which is, deals with interesting conceptualizations of, like, life and creating life. And, uh, you know, the, the people involved in that and uh, relationships to, you know, current societal dogmas or pre-established traditions resisting that and the costs involved... And uh, you know, to, uh, the the sense which I like to to prepare for change and and remain in expectation to like to bear different responsibilities for creating or incentivizing change in a sense. I thought that was really cool. Uh, then uh, <laughs> briefly, um, okay. there's prothalamion, a uh, prothalamion. I'm not sure how you say that, but some cool ideas about dreams and. You know, when people start swapping dreams and things look like they're changing or are out of, they are a little um, out of order or out of whack a little bit and how that can lead to positive revelations or positive connections. And uh, sometimes the restoration of that order, although it's entirely out of people's controls, can lead to negative things or negative feelings or existences and how, well, what then, which the story ends uh but uh you know th- those those points the, there's the king of the belly which is uh we didn't understand <laughs> yeah um it's uh, it's complex I, I i don't know uh, i'm sorry i don't know um i, I i'm also going to take the point to mention black is fred by jesse quack uh yes the um, uh, a woven womb by c.a mcdonald Prothalamion by Tracy Manister and, and King of the Belly by Michelle Ruiz Kyle. Thank you so much, Leon. No, no worries. Uh, then we have uh, a recurring set of like interludes, uh, which are the the Ibn Nib stories, but oh, they're all by yeah. S- Stephen Allred. Uh, these ones are built via the universe of uh, the Left Hand of Darkness's Gethen Winter. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've read that one. There is this like folklore of Ibn Nib, which are these common characters who are like misadventures and weird stuff. And I feel like, while not necessarily wanting to talk about any particular one, they're free in total, but they all like touch on different aspects of like, you know, the imbisexual society of Gethen, of people swapping genders every uh, mating season and then changing back and being able to to have this in, in different moments, like uh, the, the, this period of Kema where they become fertile and differentiate and, you know, other realities of like change and, and mischief. And they're all very folkloric and very well told and very fun. Uh, so I really, I really like all three of them. And uh, then we have the one that Leon will also want to talk about, which is Old Souls yes. by uh, Fonda Lee. Take it away, Leon. Also, yeah, but Old Souls by Fonda Lee. Yeah, it's... Um, what I find very interesting is that it has such a interesting depiction and relation with identity. And this is a story about how people just kind of have access to how their lives, previous lives, uh, have, were. They just kind of get to know that. Well, one person can, can, okay. can see that. And essentially okay. they find patterns to 
people's lives, including her own. Uh, where it's like, you know, people have done this, this and that. And, uh, you know, she, she, she sees these story, the, these previous lives and previous stories that people have made, which a lot tend towards a pattern, uh, including her own. Uh, and uh, yeah. the tension of the story is that uh, in every single one, it's like a, it's a premature death. Yeah, I find it very interesting that she, uh, that person has lived all over the place. So it's 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 uh, it's very interesting that like she has all these uh, once again quite gruesome deaths, and yep. and like has lived uh, uh, all these all these lives, and doesn't really know how to reconcile these lives within her current character. Yeah, uh, up to the point that some of the people that because she has she has came uh, or they came so brutally to their end in their previous lives that people in their previous lives still are alive in their current lives. Are you still following me? I hope you are. Um, <laughs> so once again, uh, like uh, in, in her previous life, uh, they went to see uh, the Mad Max movie of all things, uh, the old ones, I believe. And later on in like a shop, they, uh, they got shot through the neck and died. And she then contemplated in a modern contemporary setting, like, do I look this person up on Facebook and, like, do I contact them and say, hey, I'm the reincarnation of your previous, uh, <laughs> of, your, of your previous boyfriend and, like, the, you know, of the love of your life. And, like, what do you do with that? Yeah. And so there's this very practical element to that that I find very interesting and thought-provoking. Like, but there's also the broader psychological element of how, if we, if we could see what we were, uh, every single time accepting the philosophical notion that 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 resurrection is a thing by the way yeah. um if we could uh, <laughs> accepting that which uh well that doesn't doesn't matter so if we had insight to this i i, I cannot even begin to think of the extreme psychological extremities of these <laughs> of this of this reality like yeah. how do we then <laughs> Yeah, well, look at look at all these all these things, and sure, this person died a lot, and that's that's terrifying. And we see how this affects her in her life, and like the things that she goes through, and they see we see this pattern and so forth and so on, and it's it's very difficult. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about the pattern a bit, and but I'm just going to very quickly finish the, this idea that we would have such problems with if if in one of your last. <laughs> In one of your last lives, you were one of the bad people, like one of the bad people reviled through history. How do you move on from that? You know, I don't think you do. Um, right. So, what if you're like, you know, what if you're born as like a Congolese person, and in your previous life you were like the Belgian King Leopold that like abhorrently treated Congolese people? Uh, like, you know, that's possible then. And how do you unify that? Well, you you don't. And that's like the the problem. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, I mean, which... people don't. People don't know. Only this character. I, does. I know, but, but what if? Once again, what I'm trying to say is that it is possible to know. There yeah. is a way to find out because we see one person do this, and that means that probably she is therefore not the only person in this universe. So once again, this is just speculatively interacting with the setting of this universe. That that's mm -hmm. all I'm doing. Yeah. But it's <laughs> which. <laughs> Once again, it's, it's, it's such an interesting idea then because how do we um, 
interact with our very own past. And, um, well, once again, this is, I would argue, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but this uh, reconciliation of past with present is a thing that, like, a lot of, uh, that, that comes up in a lot of Le Guin stories? Or hmm. would you say that's... Uh, I mean, I think there's the sense of like a like, culture a, changing. Not, I'm not entirely sure, because uh, it's, <laughs> it's very broad. But I think it's in particular in the terms of like how, you know, a necessary engagement with the past of like, yeah, you know, because it's history, it's present because it's history. In this case, it's taken from for a personal angle, uh, which again is very interesting. It's like you get this this big thing which call, we we call history. And you lower it or scale it down to the, this individual level or a handful of individuals, um, and you take the story with this large idea in a small scale, which is a very like yeah. thing. No, definitely that. And the problem is that once again, uh, it's fine for a short story. Don't worry. But I always struggle with determinism in uh, fiction. Oh yeah, like the. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it, don't worry. But one of these days, I'm going to have to like dedicate some time in a certain episode. I don't know what kind of episode that will be. <laughs> but one of these days, I will have to dedicate some time to talk about how shit the uh, world building around, uh, around determinism is in a series called The Wheel of Time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 14 <laughs> tremendously large books, and uh, they don't need to be 14 or that long. Anyway, once again, I'm not going to talk about it now, don't worry. But... There's some determinism in there as well, and there's also a weave that, that weaves a pattern. And uh, unlike this story, what this story does better than that book series is that in that book series, The Wheel of Time, there's like people that are called Tyveran, I believe, and they are like exempt from determinism. You know, the, the commoners, or like, you know, not really the commoners, commoners, but like the, the raffle, the average person. They are subjected to determinism, but these chosen people, they are uplifted uh, out of the uh, out of the weave, Ooh, out of the wheel terrible. of time. Yes, yes, it's not good. Um, <laughs> so I find this a much more interesting perspective of I'm aware of this wheel of, of this wheel of time, of this wheel of history. I mean and that there's a pattern. And how do I deal with that? It's a very interesting question. That in 14 fucking books could never be treated properly. <laughs> no. Sorry, no. sorry, go on. <laughs> well, the, 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 that's the cool thing about the story, right? We're like, oh, it's a pattern, it's a pattern, it's a pattern. And then you find out why or in what way it's a pattern. It's a pattern because people choose to do things like that and keep repeating actions or positions. So the, the, the big reveal, so to speak, of this story is that this big character who, who died repeatedly and prematurely in all their lives uh, was in the self-sacrificial manner, basically. Yeah. Uh, to like defend someone or guard someone or protect someone or in all those senses. And um, she chose to, to do all that. So it's like, we, we again, we, we only know her in, in detail, but there's the sense like people keep making these choices because uh, this, this thing we call soul uh, is what their identity is, and it is making these choices again and again, mostly. So, yeah, it's a thing, I guess. <sighs> okay, I I'm going to talk about this briefly because we've been here for a little yeah. while. 
Uh, Sorry. And uh, no, it's fine. And there's uh, a lot of stories to go. But uh, uh, briefly, like I mentioned, how Ibn Nib, uh, the three stories are the the ones in universe, and there's this other one, uh, the ones who don't walk away by Rene Denfeld. Uh, the ones who don't walk away from Omalas. That, that's not part of the title, but that's the reference uh, to Le Guin's short story, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omalas. Um, and, you know, it, it, I've done an episode on it, uh, so so go listen to that. Uh, but So I, I won't go into the, the, the detailing of, like, oh, Omalas is, like, all oh, this philosophical thing about, like, oh, can there be utopia without suffering or whatnot? Is this a society... Uh, is this a utopian society or there can be no utopian society without intentional suffering and whatnot? And as a, on that angle, I find it less interesting. It's like, oh, you know, it, 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 I prefer the question, oh, this society that willingly perpetrates suffering to an, an innocent child uh, is, um, is it's, it's, not, it's nothing like a utopia, regardless of everything else going on. Uh, that, that, uh, Clear enough for me, it's like, no, you're, you're authoritar- authoritarian trash. You've just expanded your elite, even if your oppressed people is a uh, population of one. I particularly like that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but um, the formulation, uh, self-congratulation there. Uh, but the story itself follows from there. And it's like, oh, what are these, these children uh, who are being kept and what does that mean and, and like how that feels. And I, at first I was like, oh, is this story, how is this going to be relating to the, to the original material? And it was a fascinating exploration of like how effectively Omelas, this utopia, is not a utopia. Ob- obviously not. And what that suffering entails that it's not like, oh, it's a philosophical. No, it's if we're thinking in terms of like this fictional established society, then we should treat it as such as, you know, a society represented which contains authoritarianism is authoritarian is oppressive and in this case there are added elements of like uh, <laughs> mistreating immigrants and you know caging them and so on which is uh, you know politically significant to the present uh, even more so but you know it's uh, it takes that material it, it reframes it in a continued uh, story and makes it even more current and developing that standpoint so uh, i think it's uh, a fantastic story I, re- I really like it and how it does that yeah no definitely <laughs> um I, uh, w- what's yeah. the the next story you want to talk about some more just so i uh, again do a little I, quick fire uh i i don't have anything in particular i could say something about uh homeless gary Busey, but that's that's you know yeah i'll yeah, okay. I don't know um, if we want to. Does, we don't have to. <laughs> we can just, you know, we can just quick fire to the end. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, uh, again, okay. like, I don't think any of these stories are particularly bad. Um, the, the ones I, I, I don't like as much, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that, and I'll probably, I don't know, I'm going to quick fire, and you feel free to stop me. Uh, <laughs> sure. On the way or, or interject. Uh, we have then the, the Polar Explorer by Lenny Zumas. Very brief about a, a woman in the late 1800s who wants to explore the polars, uh, the polar circle, and is deeply passionate about it to the point of uh, self-harm and, and hurting from, you know, hypothermia. But uh, is passionate and dedicated to, to that, to that quest 
regardless of others' expectations and her own pains. So I think that's like a very interesting story about like it's very brief, like there's not much to it, but it's a a, a fun portrayal of that. I I, I liked it. Uh, we have birds, which is very odd. Um, about yeah. uh, I don't know, urban extra- urban estrangement in the present, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it's complex. I'm, I'm not sure I have much to say about it, but it's it's interesting. A little about architecture and and you know connections between the strange and and communication and contact and all that. Uh, by it's birds by Benjamin Parzibok. Moving on, we then have. Uh, f- feel free to cut at the interludes when I'm switching from the from the index to the next stories. Then we have Homeless Gary Busey by Timothy O'Leary, uh, which is a an odd story. Uh, Leon gave a very brief uh, definition of what it was, and I, I uh, if you could, Leon. Oh, um, yeah, I feel like it's the most Lovecraftian story that's in here. Yeah. Is that the one that you wanted? I don't know. I yeah, no, yeah things, basically so. that okay. sense. <laughs> so yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm not doing it justice, but just real quick. Uh, someone is harassed by a homeless person and then strikes at the homeless person, which sends him down such a spiral. It's societally, that's it's engineered by society and essentially makes him, the homeless person... Uh, once again, he gets, uh, gets, uh, he loses his mind throughout this entire process, and becomes the person that he was originally harassed by. Uh, he's not literally the same person, but he essentially has all the characteristics of the homeless person that was once harassing him. And it's interesting because there is a commentary on how we treat homeless people, how these are essentially. Um, even by people who claim to be progressive and kind and open-hearted and so forth and so on, homeless people are treated as if they exist outside of society and culture. Yeah. And I, it's, 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 it's so, well, dehumanizing. There's no better word for it, I would argue. Like, there's, because they, they aren't, like, they, they are essentially, like, this, well, I would say they are like um, like street dogs or whatever we call them, like homeless dogs, um, uh, like you know, like dogs that like are just there and aren't owned by people. Um, straight dogs. What the word? For, yeah, thank you. Uh, stray dogs, but people have more empathy for dogs. I think. Um, <laughs> um, I I've, what threw me off throughout this entire short story is the constant referencing to. Uh, pop culture, uh, mm. Star Wars, Hello Kitty, Steely Dan of all things, CC Top, the Egg McMuffin from McDonald's. Uh, I <laughs> give me my Egg McMuffin. No, um, it's uh, it, it's a very once again the two threw me a bit off, but it at least showed that the police are useless. Uh, that's important. Yeah, <laughs> there is some societal retribution that I found a bit odd, but yeah. yeah a, the, the the fact that the, the homeless guy was like a a, a a veteran lost his wife it's very tragic and there is then this how do we say this commentary on social retribution uh, I don't really know what that ends into like what the argument was I have difficult I have a difficult time constructing that argument that is that is played out here 
Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you want to say anything. About yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't. And uh, I think this is one of the okay. stories where I, I least see the connection with Aguin. I, I mean, yes. I, I yes. don't doubt that it's. I mean, it's there, Portland. But, like, That's the connection, right? Well, yeah. Or we should have mentioned that. Or I should have mentioned that. All writers are from Portland, <laughs> or reside <laughs> in Portland. Something along those lines. So there was this very geographical connection to place, and a lot of the stories reference Portland, uh, which is fun, I think. But I. In terms of themes and even vibes, I mean, you said it. It's more Lovecraftian than anything else. So I don't know. Couldn't couldn't piece it together for this one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, we have uh, Finding, Joan Finding Joan by David D. Levin, uh, which is... Levine. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, which thing. is very interesting. Um, uh, the end of the world happens. And this woman's, instead of, you know, trying to go with the other survivors and whatnot, and it's like, oh, trying to rebuild society and whatnot. It's just like, yeah, it's uh, it sucks that now I'm, I'm alone, but I'd rather, you know, be with books in the middle of nowhere and uh, live my life and grow crops and try to. Uh, so it's very, it, it takes a personal angle to like a massive event like this, like an end of the world of sorts. And is, uh, you know, finding Joan. The main character is Joan trying to, like, find out what she wants to do. What she wants to do with her life and how she has led her life so far. I think she's a middle-aged woman. Uh, which, um, again, very good character. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very fun, very interesting story. Uh, I don't usually like post-apocalyptic stories, but this one I liked. Uh, I thought this was, uh, this was interesting. Then we have uh, Becoming Human. Uh, by Gigi Little, uh, one of a few stories that deals more directly with like inhuman. Uh, this one it's, uh, it's mostly about ants uh, after the apocalypse and like ants humanizing themselves and like making sweets and uh, then like literally <laughs> building like a human shaped ant uh, construct thingy. Uh, you know, like like you see in in, in movies and or whatnot. It's interesting. There's some stuff. I wasn't a fond of the ending. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's that kind of thing of uh, a different perspective and uh, estranging the familiar. Uh, so that was that was fun. That was good. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Uh, I, find the, I find the ending difficult to grasp, but that's what I hear there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, then we have Beekeeper. A bee, comma, bee keeper. <laughs> by Jason Lapierre. Uh, which is, again, talking about a, an internal dynamic of bees and hives and, and whatnot. And it is uh, strange. It's a stranger story. It, it, it places like a familiar sort of story into this framework of like all bees and bee society, inverted commas, in a way that uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think. It's a story that left me pretty, I like it. But I'm not sure how to feel about it with like how the various bees and, and characters like end up in the story. Yeah, uh, bees dance to communicate. I thought that was funny. Yeah, that, that was that cool. Happens. That, <laughs> that actually happens. So it that's, does. So that's actually how bees, yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say on it. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, don't have a lot to say going forward as well. I'm sorry, we already had the Leon part. So you just, you just go ahead. <laughs> Uh, no worries. Uh, I mean, uh, we front-loaded it a bit, but uh, 
as we carry yes. on, I, I still have stuff to say. And uh, as okay. a wrap up, I think there's plenty to talk about in general, if, if only to, to, to take it in an interesting direction and not just stop. KwaZulu Natal uh, by Juha Kim uh, is a great story uh, about you know this this kid who like effectively builds this bond with an elephant and uh, tries to like eventually save it throughout their life and uh, safeguard it though eventually it uh, it it isn't it, it's difficult to find it a good home a good place to be and uh, it, it dies and how how this character like connected and, and related to the non-human in you know contemporary world but um how his bond was stronger towards the elephant than other people or so we're told or we see at least and uh you know this this connection between the human and the animal uh is something that appears in like when throughout sometimes more clear sometimes less Throughout rereadings of this possessed, that has become clearer, although it's somewhat uh, a minor thing or tangential aspect. Sometimes uh, it's it's very it's very good, so I I, I liked it a lot. I, I think it's really interesting. You know, uh, I think what I'm trying to do is is uh, I'm telling these stories. It's like bring out some of these themes and how these stories connect, and eventually do a kind of wrap up. Uh, Mister Uncle's Favor by Kesha, a uh, Joseph Fisher, is interesting it, it, it's kind of strange i don't know if i have anything to say about it um but it it, it it like it's i don't know eyes of a child you know like that kind of thing and how how child can child children can connect and relate to other people that for adults it, it seems strange it seems distant but uh that in this case had a connection and uh it made sense so to speak yeah <laughs> no, once again, I don't have anything. Uh, I'm so sorry. Once again, I don't have anything interesting to say about any of these stories. Um, I once again, not that they are bad or anything. So yeah, I uh, in this one in particular, I'm really sorry. I and this is just my shortcoming, but I I I, I struggle with POV children stories. Mm. I, I just I just <laughs> when I reread. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire. I skip all the brand chapters. Wow. Or at least the early one. <laughs> wow. I know what it says. I know what it says. I have read it originally. I mean, but, but, uh, but the, why reread then if you're going to skip it? I mean, well, it's just it's <laughs> one POV character that I skip. I, I'm being read... annoying. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry. This, this wasn't uh, it for me. It's fine. There's nothing bad about it, but I, I just sadly... Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, carrying on, we have a Neuron by Lydia Yuknovich, where um, uh, reality became weird, uh, <laughs> and uh, queer love is possible in a outside-of-space-and-time thingy? As, like, neurons? I, I don't know. It's uh, the, the science escaped me a bit, but uh, radical queer love as um, outside of time and space, uh, which yeah. uh, neat. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's also by, um, yeah, no, I, I said the author, Lydia Yuknovich. <laughs> uh, I don't, don't want to leave people out. We then have uh, Laddie Come Home by Curtis C. Chen, which, um, again, a, a, a interesting portrayal of uh, like this. AI trying to safeguard its 
man corporate management uh, owner because like they've been kind of kidnapped and uh, they are trying to communicate and find ways to to reach out and help them uh, it's a bunch that... of starbucks mentioning in this <laughs> collection of short stories i don't know why but <laughs> starbucks shows up in a bunch of them i there's there's nothing that i want to say about that i just i just noticed it that's all fair I enough I... um i think it's an interesting story uh i'm not i'm more interested in the communications between the ai and and other and and, it, and the world and other people rather than necessarily the, the, the background of it um it's like contemporary little into the future um it's fine it's interesting it's not not, not much about it the way things were uh Someone about the aliens. Yeah. It's, In the United Nations. Yeah, uh, aliens come to effectively let people become light and, uh, you know, transcend their physical form. Uh, they're apparently goodwilled. Who knows? It's odd. There's, there's people literally fighting fascists, which we definitely emphasize, uh, but it's weird. Weird, weird story. Uh, yeah once again i i can't get into it because i will i one of these times one of these days i will either an hbm or left page episode i will uh walk through the political science idea of aliens and united nations uh combo um and how that's not gonna work <laughs> so that's but i won't do it now obviously but you know that's that's something down the line uh yeah never mind go on go on uh, we we then have a valuable, which I think is the, well, uh, again, uh, the way things were by Jonah Barrett, um, which is quite quite interesting, um, and you know shows some. Uh, I suppose I'll mention it mentions interesting uh, liberal flaws uh, or yeah. uh, liberal uh, <laughs> hypocrisies, which was fun and um, valuable by Mo Davial is the one I didn't like that much. Uh, features time travel in a way that I'm not entirely sure about and features a b fucking bleak dystopian apocalypse. Uh, no, not, not my thing. Not my thing. There's some interesting aspects to the story uh, about, you know, traveling to past moral choices and whatnot, but I, I don't think it does enough with, you know, the, the dystopian horror of, you know, literally abandoning Earth. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. No, 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 not that interesting. Uh, then we have Hard Choices, which is by Tina Connolly, which is like a fun kind of text adventure thingy of like a uh, like a fighting fantasy thing where it's like, oh, do this, go to B, go to C, go to D, go to Z. Uh, it's very short, very self-contained, but it's got some interesting things about like, you know, other characters and whatnot. It's uh, it's fun. I I like I liked it. It's it's fun. It's fun. It's fun romp. When Strangers Meet, which I think is the by Sonia Orin Liris, I think it's one of the most interesting ones and the, the the coolest one of like literally estranging perspective to this alien species, which are I know I picture spiders for some reason the whole time, but maybe not necessarily. But this, um, I think, because it says all her top limbs. But this, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But fair enough. But kind of like how how interact how the society works how it deals with itself how it communicates certain things that like you don't want to be too familiar you don't want to be too familiar it's better uh, they're always it's like oh we don't want to be too familiar 
uh, we want to be strangers. Uh, so that's strange. Uh, it's never clear, but that's always interesting. It's a story where I didn't follow much, but I, I still think it was cool throughout and very good work in the writing. Um, we then have uh, Joy Bee's Last Dance by Jason Arias, uh, effectively about this like animatronic um, AI thing that uh, at one point kind of gains sentience or acts independently and kind of shocks real everyone. And then I, I think it dies, but it kind of like breaks a lot of people. Uh, so it's like, you know, the abyss staring back. Uh, so that was that was fun. I, I, I like that. Then we have uh, The Taster by TJ Asena, or Asena. I, I, it's with a C. Uh, I do want to say real quick about uh, the previous one. Um, Joybee. I like the opening quote by Joybee's Last Dance. Uh, Morning comes whether you set the alarm or not. And uh, reportedly, Ursula Le Guin woke up at 5.30 every day. Yes. Which I, I do want to very quickly walk through her uh, uh, little... Reportedly, her uh, morning routine or her daily routine. Oh, yes. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> 5.30, wake up and lie there and think. Which <laughs> 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 is, how dare she be so fucking relatable to contemporary culture? And Do you want to carry on almost... and read the rest? It, it, get, yeah, it, yeah, does, it gets worse. Oh, no, yeah. It's great. But I just want to say that, like, this proves something I always scream from, like, the rooftops is that generations are uh, generations are a shit category to categorize people in yeah C- class and class consciousness and perspective of class is f- much more uh useful it's much more like once again so this is uh <laughs> this is all this passage i send you about like left hand of darkness it's about like uh this passage reads like Treat him as if he's pregnant. Lay first on top of him or something. And that sounds like a viral tweet. Like nowadays, like that, <laughs> that tweet would go viral for some reason because it's just stupid. But anyway. <laughs> okay, so 5.30 a.m. Wake up and lie there and think. 45 minutes later, 6.15 a.m. Get up and eat breakfast. Lots. Parentheses. Lots. <laughs> An hour later, 7.15. Get to work writing. 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 Noon, so we we skipped like from seven to twelve p.m. <laughs> Lunch, that's it. So writing, writing, writing till them. From one to three, reading, comma, music, period. <laughs> <laughs> three to five, correspondence, maybe house cleaning. Five to eight, make dinner and eat it. Three hours, <laughs> three hours of dinner. Like I love that. Essentially, after twelve. PM, fifty percent of the rest of her day is food. That's great. <laughs> and after eight PM, I tend to be very stupid, and we won't talk about this. Yeah, I, I don't know what this amazing. means. But anyway, that's the that's the meme of Ursula Le Guin's uh, little uh, routine. Uh, sorry, the opening the opening quote of the alarm reminded me of that, and I we have to we had to talk about it. We had to mention it on the last page. We had I'm to. So sorry. We had to. No, you yes. were absolutely right. <laughs> um, I I still haven't tried that. I need to try that at some point, maybe this okay. week. Uh, because I'm excited. Five thirty though. That's, it's okay, it's really mind. early. It's really early. It's really early. <laughs> well, you only have to lie there and think, which means I would just fall asleep again. So it's not it's not useful to me. But anyway. I, I would try and dread with the existential horrors of my life. 
Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it would be a, a harrowing time. I'd I could keep myself awake for that. Um, anyway, nice. moving on. Uh, <laughs> the Taser. Uh, the Taster by T.J. Asana or Asana. It's it's interesting. It, 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 some people uploaded themselves digitally, but they still want to feel things. So there's a person that like listens to music. Uh, there's someone who eats, and they get this like sensory experience and the pleasure from it. So uh, uh, th- there's other things in the story, but like the sense is like. To upload yourself digitally means giving up the cool things about being a lump of flesh. Uh, no yeah. thanks, actually. I'd rather be a, <laughs> a tangled body horror mess, actually. It's worth <laughs> well, it's, it. It's, this is very interesting. Like, um, I'm, I won't talk about this for very long, but it's it's this difficult relationship that I have with cyberpunk. Like, the genre, not the video game. Mm-hmm. But, like, the genre of, like, just cut off your arm and put a, a robot limb there. Like, your arm is gone forever. <laughs> like, that's just, and that's so odd. Like, you you become different. You don't become more, you don't become less, but you become different when you do yeah. that. And once again, there's a very sensitive reading of, like, once again, disabled people and so forth and so on. And that we will talk about that whenever we really get into that. But yeah, that, so I find that always very difficult the sacrifice of, like, the, the flesh lump into the. Uh, as, as it's called, the Repositor of Digital Humanity, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, terrifying name, but okay. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, I then do love different conceptualizations of human consciousness because we know fuck all about it. Recently, our dominant theory of consciousness has been under fire tremendously. Like this letter of 120 neurologists said like, hey, this theory is actually wrong. So there goes our main theory of human consciousness. Um, we are back to phenom- uh, phenomenology. There we hey, go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that right. field is very interesting. And I think it's ripe for speculation, therefore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what I like about it. Um, do I think this is a very interesting execution of it? Not so much. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I need to... What were the people... Who were a hybrid in Perdido Street Station called? Um, the maid, the remade, the remade, the remade, yeah. the remade. And then, and then you had the cool people who were like the uh, what, what, Jack, what, what, Jack half a prayer, Jack half a prayer, yeah. What, so, what, what were they called? Uh, what were they called a remade? I think they're called a remade. Uh, no, what? Yet, yet the people who were like used as a punishment and people who was like celebrated in like in revolution like they they're, they're one and um, the same right no but they had a different name oh uh, uh but i think they were called a remade generally i think they called themselves something else but they were the remade yeah um oh the, the free made the free made. free made and a remade yeah okay the people who have been physically mechanically changed in a variety of different ways and uh, actually, that is body horror through and through, always. Um, so uh, go read that. Go read the Baslog trilogy. Baslog. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still have to finish book three. Anyway, I have so. not read the second one yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. I wasn't going to say it, Frank. I was. Well, I'll, I'll admit my shame's probably. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> it's been a year. It's been a year, Frank. <laughs> oh, it has. It really has. Um, <laughs> We then have uh, Let It Die by Arwen Spicer, uh, which um, it's got a lot of interesting things about our relationship with technology 
and uh, it does some good critiques of primitivism, which I always appreciate because I feel it's um, in its most uh, crude ways, primitivism is uh, genocidal, I think. So uh, anyway, uh, moving on from that, the point I want to mention about this story is uh, the representation that like in life we choose things and we choose again and uh, we, we make different choices and that ends up shaping the ways we we can defy or incorporate into our society or our culture and our traditions and that doesn't preclude our change afterwards. So uh, yeah, we, we individually in history also change. And that's good and fine. Important, even. Finally, we, we're reaching the, the final two stories. Uh, we have Each Cool Silver Orb a Gift by Nicole Rosevere, uh, which... Um, I love the title, by the way. It's Sorry, very go good. And it's a very good story. <laughs> Reminiscing a bit about... Um, Pondering the, the Orb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the ones who walk away from Omelas in the sense that, oh, it's all good, it, it, it's all great and uh this this distant different society of like uh ruled by women um and that it is you know a utopian or or whatnot but uh no it it comes at great costs uh and oppression so uh an interesting recreation of that under different circumstances and working for this idea it's like oh just because it's women in charge it's fine Uh, not actually power relations and uh, patriarchy are deeper than just that and finally, uh, we have Winona's Gift by Molly Gloss, uh, which uh, is a, an interesting story about like a rite of passage and uh, growth and uh, perspective, I guess, and uh, like knowledge and, and uh, exchanging knowledge within generations and like the costs of uh, growth, I guess. Uh, it's interesting. It's uh, strange. It's a strange story, but so fun. Uh, the reminiscence of Le Guin, especially in some of her later works. The name escapes me, but it's one that's very anthropological in nature. Uh, so yeah, all in all, I mean, I've, I've spoken about a lot of the stories, and I feel like I, I gave them all the the, the a little time in the sun, <laughs> uh, which I think is important. But broadly, they they seem to gather the sense that um, of Le Guin's vibe, really, or or some of her themes, or, her, or a bit of her perspective. Because there is this varied engagement with questions of race, gender, politics, ecology, violence, culture, tradition, defiance, resistance, in, in a variety of settings, right? We have future, we have a dystopian, a cyberpunk, a primitive, an alternative, a broadly sci-fi, fantasy. And it's it works. Broadly, it works. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, it's such an odd collection because I, I, I came with a particular expectation and then I found out, I was like, oh, this is not what I expected. But it still carried some of that meaning to me uh, and some of that sense of what Le Guin's work does, you know, like some of the movements, some of the feelings, some of the inspirations that it does, some of the engagement that it produces of like to write, to create, to engage, to think about the world we live in with various angles, degrees and resolves, right? Like, some of them are talking about estranging uh, perspectives and, like, how communication and power relations can work differently. Others about, like, existential horror, like Jarby's Last Dance, where, you know, the, the, the animatronic AI goes, like, uh, what is it you hunger for in staring, being the abyss towards a crowd and uh, being utterly horrifying, which we support. Uh, so... 
and also we have the connection between the humans and the non-human, humans and animals, and the the, the various powers and engagement of words and worlds and the environments and you know what what is it we we seek desire and look to fight for uh, in various scenarios so all in all a great read that you know it um it is it is greatly inspired by an ours and by Le Guin's work and themes and, and perspectives and what she she did and built and uh, inspired uh us to to create and to, to, to be and to think about so yeah hopefully this this conversation this petition's book will also inspire somewhat to, to think about the various ways in which we engage with our present we engage with opposing capitalism and, and opposing the the power structures and cycles of violence and and oppression that uh, that surround us how we can think and imagine distinct and disruptive ways through it all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can I cannot add anything to that. Um, <clears throat> I I wholeheartedly agree. Something very special about this episode. It is not Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. I, don't if you, I don't know if you know what it is. No. What is it? No. I don't think so. It's uh, it's <laughs> it's one year of Leon on left page. <laughs> oh wow! Today especially. <laughs> Yeah, today's a year ago when I, still with my shit mic, came on to complain about <laughs> Geralt and uh, The Witcher and uh, all that jazz. So, yeah. Wow. It's, um, yeah, it's been a year. Thank you. So, Thank yeah. you for being here for a year. <laughs> no, totally. I technically didn't officially join, but this was my, a year ago was my first appearance. Nice. Uh, then I heard you guys talk about, you and Horror Vanguard talk about uh, Partido Street Station, as we mentioned earlier. Um <laughs> That's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like ah oh, fuck. I want to be part of that. Yeah, fuck it. I'll just I'll just join. I'll just join permanently. It's fine. This is <laughs> so fun to talk about these things. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's um, yeah. So it's been a year, and I uh, I hope this episode was entertaining. Yeah, this was Frank's pick. So uh, <laughs> obviously, so, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I yeah yeah I'm happy. Uh, at the time when I didn't like the short story very much, it was a difficult read for me to power through at times mm-hmm. um but the, the the once again it's always worth it for me based on the conversation i get to have with you about it so yeah oh, appreciate it <laughs> totally so uh, uh, yeah thank you so much for listening everyone yeah no thank you so much for being here everyone and uh although leon wasn't there last year to talk about perdido street station this year for halloween <laughs> we have something very special in the works uh, the return of a very special author of which there was only one episode so far, um, which is a crime on my part. I, I fully <laughs> assume, uh, embrace the blame on that one. Um, and, uh, you know, some of our all-time all favorite guests. Uh, it's it's going to be a great episode. I'm so excited for it. And, uh, yeah, uh, expect horror, the kinds of which deeply disturb us all. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, see yeah. you in October spooky month. Ooh. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.